Welcome back to Drilled. I'm Amy Westervelt. Today, we continue our series on the criminalization of environmental protest, the real free speech threat. In this episode, we head to Australia with reporter Lyndall Rollins, who's been reporting on how anti-protest laws swept Australia. Australia is a unique context for a few different reasons. It's a major fossil fuel economy, particularly with coal and now with gas. It's also a place where the media is heavily influenced by industry money, thanks in large part to the fact that Rupert Murdoch owns a large percentage of it. And it's a place where people voted last year overwhelmingly for a government that would do something about climate. It's really interesting to examine the criminalization trend in that context. And Lyndall's done some excellent reporting on that front over the last year. Here she is with that story. That's the sound of an activist at the Art Gallery of Western Australia, spray-painting an artwork with the logo of fossil fuel giant Woodside. The painting was protected by clear plastic, unlike the indigenous rock art threatened by Woodside's activities. This painting is barely 100 years old. We have five 50,000-year-old artwork that Woodside is destroyed. That's Belladong Noongar man, Desmond Blerton. This is Bibbubbin Bujab. I pay my respects to my elders and my ancestors. As I stand here today, artwork that is sacred to our people is being destroyed. He's explaining how Woodside's plans to expand its barb gas project at Murujuga could see ancient paintings that have survived tens of thousands of years disappear. Woodside Petroleum is the largest fossil fuel project in Australia. They are destroying ancient Murujuga rock art. We demand no industry on the borough. We must protect our cultural heritage and artwork now. By expanding the Barb Gas Project with two new gas fields at Browse and Scarborough, Woodside is planning to emit an estimated 6 billion tonnes of carbon dioxide emissions. Analysis from climate advocacy group Clean State says this would make the Barb Hub Australia's most polluting fossil fuel project ever. After recent merger with mining giant BHP, Woodside is now the biggest fossil fuel company in Australia. Now this merger has expanded our portfolio and extended our global reach, including a significant office in Houston. But Woodside remains a proudly Australian company. That's Meg O'Neill. She's the CEO of Woodside, and she was addressing the National Press Club of Australia earlier this year. Yes, she has an American accent. Our guest today is Meg O'Neill. Before she joined Woodside, Meg's career took her around the globe as head of ExxonMobil in Africa. Anil previously worked for ExxonMobil in Norway and Canada before becoming its Vice President of African Development. She used her speech to outline how Woodside plans to continue expanding fossil fuel projects in Australia. We want to develop new projects in Australia across both hydrocarbons and new energy opportunities, but that will only be possible if the policy settings provide the certainty to underpin those long-term investments. 
Although O'Neill used her speech to argue the Australian government should allow Woodside to build new projects with billions of tonnes of carbon emissions, it was O'Neill's comments on environmental activists that attracted national headlines. A vocal minority wants to shut down the industry and the jobs and livelihoods that go with it. They have deep pockets and are using both protest action and the courts to create uncertainty and destabilize regulatory processes to frustrate both existing and new projects. O'Neill didn't provide any information to back up her claims that environmental activists in Australia have deep pockets, that they represent the views of a minority, or that their activism is somehow extremist. We certainly respect every Australian's right to express their opinion, and we absolutely share the commitment to decarbonisation, but extremism is not the answer. Yet, despite the apparently fairly significant implications of calling people extremist, journalists at the National Press Club also didn't probe what had prompted O'Neill to reach this conclusion. Floods and fires are getting worse in Australia, so it might sound strange that in the few short years since millions of people were breathing in bushfire smoke, one by one, states around the country have been banning climate change protests. My name is Lyndall Rollins, and as you'll hear in this special series of Drilled, shifting the blame to environmental activists is another tactic the fossil fuel industry uses to delay climate action. And in Australia, it's been working. But while it's important to report on why environmental activists in Australia have increasingly been experiencing fines, prison sentences, surveillance and negative media coverage, it's also important to note that this all helps to create a distraction from climate change itself and what we need to do about it. So before we dig into that story, I want to take you to a meeting organised by activists trying to save an old-growth forest in my home state of Victoria. We'll head there after this quick break. Does it make sense to you that the same company that controls half of online retail also passively eavesdrops on your private conversations at home? How about the idea that a single company controls 90% of internet searches, runs your email service, and gets to track everything you do on your smartphone? Big tech is more powerful than most countries, and they profit by exploiting your personal data. It's time to put a layer of protection between these guys and your online activity. And that's why I use ExpressVPN. Think about how much of your life is on the internet. Every site you visit, video you watch, message you send gets tracked and data mined. But when you use ExpressVPN on your devices, the software hides your IP address. That's something that big tech uses to personally identify you. So ExpressVPN makes your activity harder to trace and sell to advertisers. ExpressVPN also encrypts 100% of your internet data to keep you safe from hackers and eavesdroppers on your network. This has become sadly very important in my line of work. It's also why ExpressVPN is rated number one by CNET, Wired, TechRadar, and a lot of other sites. What I like most about ExpressVPN is how easy it is to use. You download the app, it's very easy to install, you tap a button and then you're protected. I like hardly even think about it anymore and it's just working away in the background on all my devices. So stop handing over your personal data to the big tech monopoly that mines your activity and sells your information. 
Protect yourself with the VPN I trust to keep me safe online. Visit expressvpn.com slash drilled. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash drilled to get three extra months free. Go to expressvpn.com slash drilled right now to learn more. This holiday season, get a gift for yourself too, and keep it simple. I gave myself the gift of a better, more convenient laundry experience. I know, I know, laundry doesn't sound like a gift, but honestly, Earth Breeze just makes it so much easier. Think about how you actually do laundry. You have to work out how much detergent to pour, lift that big plastic jug, hope the goo doesn't get everywhere. It's annoying. But EarthBreeze Eco Sheets look like nothing I've ever seen in the detergent aisle. It's almost, it's like a dryer sheet kind of, but it's the detergent and you throw it in and then that's it. There's no measuring, no nothing. It works in hot and cold. It's also dermatologist tested, hypoallergenic, and free of bleach and dyes. And it fights everyday stains and odors. You get a powerful clean, but you don't have to deal with all that packaging. Right now, my listeners can get started with Earth Breeze and save 40%, Go to earthbreeze.com slash drilled. That's E-A-R-T-H-B-R-E-E-Z-E.com slash drilled for 40% off your subscription earthbreeze.com slash drilled. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Given this refuge's higher elevation status, it may be one of the, the final places where species are able to survive in a warming climate. So it's very, very important. I'm at a meeting organized by activists who've spent the last few decades trying to save old growth forests in Australia. They're particularly focused on the Erinundra forest in southeastern Australia. Can the people who were part of that defend Erinundra blockade um, stand up if you're in the room. I know there's a few of you in here. Decades after their protests helped to save parts of this forest, it's now facing new threats. Can anyone who has done surveying for threatened species in logging coops please stand up as well and stay standing? Tuffy Morovitz is welcoming people to the meeting and explaining why we're here. With the new anti-protest laws coming through in May, these people may potentially face a year imprisonment or $21,000 in fines. You can stand down now. Sit down. Stand down. Three years ago, fires tore through parts of the forest that had previously been saved from logging. 
The forest faces impossible challenges um, with logging and climate change. As we saw with the blockade up at the Erinundra Plateau, protest remains a critical tool to prevent immediate and irreversible harm. Well, first of all, I'd like to acknowledge the sovereign people of this country, the Boyarana, and all of the Kulin Nation, of which the Jabra is part of that Kulin Nation. So I'm a um, senior Jabra woman and also an elder of the Kulin um, Nation. That's Marjorie Thorpe. Her traditional Gunai Kurnai lands include forests full of old growth trees and animals and birds that aren't found anywhere else on earth. It's um, two of the citizen scientists that I've been working with and, and um, learning from who are monitoring the, the forest for um, the bats. Thorpe has been working with volunteer citizen scientists to monitor animals in the forests. Activities that now could face fines of $21,000 and up to a year in jail under new Victorian laws specifically banning them from entering parts of the forest. There's no sound in those forests. There's no, no insects. There's no small animals rustling around. Although she now lives by the forest, Thorpe is no stranger to fossil fuels. Yalon, the town where she was born, no longer exists. It was dug up for coal not long after it was built. I was born in the mining town of Yalorn and uh, we see our father come home every day from work. His job was to sweep out the coal from the houses and the roofs. He died at 69 as a, as a result of ill health and working in that industry. Meg O'Neill, the CEO of Woodside, who makes more than $4 million a year running a multi-billion dollar company, claims that environmental activists in Australia have deep pockets. But here, Thorpe is talking to volunteers about ruffling off a chicken or two at the pub to help get the word out. So somehow, you know, go back to chook raffles or whatever you have to do to raise money, but never let money stand in your way of doing something. Sending volunteers who work with ecologists to count native animals to prison may seem like a strange priority, but the new state law is only one part of a wider response to environmental activism in Australia that started escalating while the country was still on fire. Heavy fines for activists who enter forests in Victoria aren't the only steep new penalties introduced by state governments in Australia in recent years. And let's go to Brisbane and protesters there could soon be thrown into jail. Protesters in Tasmania now face a year in jail. In New South Wales, it's two years. Massive new penalties for blocking roads during a demonstration. In 2019, protests against a coal mine in the Australian state of Queensland were making international headlines. Indian billionaire Gautam Adani was planning to build a coal mine in Queensland's Galilee Basin and a train line to the city of Mackay where the coal would be shipped out past the Great Barrier Reef. Protests against the mine even spread to India, where activists were accused of being under foreign influence for speaking up against an Indian company. At the same time, Adani, a multinational Indian company, was not shy about lobbying governments in Australia to cut off Stop Adani activists' funding. Activists with the Stop Adani movement tried to stop the train line from being built by chaining themselves to the tracks. 
response, the Queensland Resources Council, a local industry trade group, backed new legislation called the Dangerous Attachment Devices Law. The law claimed that the various types of chains, glue and locks activists had been using to attach themselves to mining equipment, roads and bridges were dangerous to both first responders and the activists themselves. It gave police not only the right to impose heavy fines and sentences on protesters arrested with these devices, but also to stop and search anyone suspected of having an attachment device on them without a warrant. The new powers alarmed UN human rights experts, who put out a statement describing them as inherently disproportionate. But the Queensland Resources Council argued the law didn't go far enough, and Scott Morrison, who was the Prime Minister of Australia at the time, was happy to lend his voice to their campaign. A new breed of radical activism is on the march. Apocalyptic in tone, Brooks no compromise, all or nothing, alternative views not permitted. We know that... The Queensland Resources Council, for instance, were, you know, very involved and and supportive of the legislation in Queensland. We know that at the time Morrison got up and and spoke to that organisation and and that's where you can see these linkages happening. This is Vanessa Bowden, a sociologist at the University of Newcastle, Australia. You see industry talk about how important it is to the economy Um, and then representatives of government sort of get up and and say that back to industry. But politicians, companies and industry bodies aren't the only ones recycling talking points about climate activism from country to country. In Australia, as in many of the countries we're visiting in this special drilled series, right-wing think tanks also do a lot of that work. That's particularly true of the members of a global network of libertarian think tanks called the Atlas Network. You'll hear a lot more about them next week. But for now, it's important to understand that the Atlas Network grew out of a think tank called the Institute for Economic Affairs, started in the 1970s in the UK by a guy called Anthony Fisher. Fisher and the IEA are credited with spreading the conservative ideology known as Thatcherism in the UK. And on the back of that success, Fisher went around the world studying copycat think tanks. Australia was one of his first stops. It was um, Fisher that really did the work of um, galvanising, you know, uh, capitalists to the cause of uh, the need to have a new uh, institute in Australia like the IEA. That's Jeremy Walker, a researcher and lecturer at the University of Technology in Sydney and one of the world's leading experts on the Atlas Network. It was called the Centre of Independent Studies. And the founding grants for that came from uh, the Murdoch Press, from Shell, um, BHP, Rio Tinto, Exxon later on. After the Centre for Independent Studies, half a dozen more conservative think tanks joined the Atlas Network in Australia. These think tanks also provide a ready supply of commentators for Rupert Murdoch's Sky News Australia, where they regularly join the hosts in vilifying climate protesters. Here's Bella Debrera. She's a researcher from one of these think tanks, the Institute for Public Affairs, or IPA, on Sky News Australia, talking about an educational climate book she says was designed to terrify children. Everything from the, you know, from the minute that, that they get up in the morning to the minute they go to bed is all about worrying about the fact that we're going to have an, a, an apocalypse. 
In another appearance on Sky News, she mockingly called Greta Thunberg a saint before going on to describe climate activism as child abuse. Very surprising that St. Greta is appearing on the front of the, the legal studies textbook. I mean, climate change is one of the main religious tenets taught in schools these days. And we've talked about on your show before, you know, the climate change marches, yep. the, the, the sort of the terror that they're, that they're filling children with, which is, um, which is akin to sort of child abuse, really, isn't it? Right-wing think tanks and public relations firms have been accusing environmental activists of extremism since at least the 1980s. The characterization has become so common that it's even been questioned by UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres. Climate activists are sometimes depicted as dangerous radicals. But the truly dangerous radicals are the countries that are increasing the production of fossil fuels. Investing in new fossil fuel infrastructure is moral and economic madness. Guterres says building new fossil fuel infrastructure in 2023 is moral and economic madness. Meanwhile, as we heard at the beginning of this episode, Woodside's Borough Pub gas project will not only emit billions of cubic tonnes of carbon dioxide, it will also potentially endanger irreplaceable Indigenous rock art. The gallery protests made international headlines, but activists have been protesting against the Borough Pub for years, and during that time they've also been followed around by Western Australia's counter-terrorism police. Counter-terrorism police regularly raid the homes and offices of disrupt Borough Pub activists, as well as journalists who've covered the protests. During the raids, the counter-terror police spend hours combing through computers, phones and other personal belongings. All this surveillance explains why the Disrupt Borough Pub activists who went to the beachside home of Woodside CEO Meg O'Neill in August this year say that counter-terrorism police were already inside before the activists arrived. I never set foot on the property of Woodside CEO Meg O'Neill, but was ambushed by more than a dozen counter-terror police lying in wait for me. That was Matilda Lane Rose. She's 19 years old and one of four Disrupt Borough Pub activists arrested outside O'Neill's home. No one was ever in any danger because of this protest and there was no possibility of anyone entering the house of the Woodside CEO except for the dozen counter-terror police already inside the property. WA police and the WA government are doing anything they can do to stop this campaign communicating because we're getting the message out about the Borough Pub and we're doing a bloody good job of it. Thank you. Four activists were charged with conspiracy to commit an indictable offence. Remember how earlier we heard O'Neill describing environmental activism as extremism at the National Press Club of Australia? After the protest outside her home, this same wording was repeated by Rupert Murdoch's Sky News and the Premier of Western Australia, Roger Cook. Woodside CEO Meg O'Neill's family were terrified when climate extremists targeted her home during an aggressive protest on Tuesday morning. Meg O'Neill said in a statement that this was not a harmless protest. Such acts by extremists should be condemned by anyone who respects the law. Yet despite O'Neill's description of the activists as extremists being repeated widely, accounts of what happened at O'Neill's home that morning differ. The activists have not been charged with trespass, only with the intent to commit an offence. And they say that counter-terrorism police were already inside when they arrived outside O'Neill's home. 
O'Neill isn't just the CEO of Woodside. She's also the chair of the Australian Petroleum Production and Exploration Association, or APIA for short, an industry body whose members include some of the biggest fossil fuel companies based in Australia, like Santos and Woodside, as well as some of the biggest fossil fuel companies in the world, like BP, Shell, and O'Neill's former employer, ExxonMobil. A few weeks after O'Neill's press club address, APR opened its annual conference in Adelaide, South Australia, on Monday the 15th of May. The conference's two principal partners were Woodside and ExxonMobil. On the fourth and final day of the conference, Thursday the 18th of May, South Australia's government suddenly rushed to introduce a new law. Protesters in South Australia could face three months in jail and a $50,000 fine under laws which have passed the state's lower house. Like Queensland three years earlier, South Australia's Labor government introduced the new legislation so quickly that legal experts say they had almost no opportunity to examine the potential human rights implications. In this episode, we've been looking at the criminalisation of environmental protest and how it's been spreading around Australia. But that's not the only thing that's been spreading. As climate change worsens, more and more climate change activists in Australia are speaking from personal experience. There was um, ash falling from the sky, burnt leaves falling from the sky all over Greater Sydney. Thick smoke made outdoor protests more difficult in December 2019. But that didn't deter student activists from gathering outside then Prime Minister Scott Morrison's official residence in Sydney. David Shoebridge, who was now a federal senator for the Greens, went to the protest with his youngest daughter and was one of the people arrested on the day. After about two hours of a standoff, they just lined up the riot squad um, and just marched them in. You know, I, I remember them forming together. They remind me, reminded me of a bunch of sort of puffed up turkeys. They went, and then went in and surrounded all these poor kids and started arresting them and moving them on. Shoebridge was previously a representative in the New South Wales Parliament when new laws restricting protests were rushed through in 2022. At the time, large parts of the state were underwater. A group known as the Knitting Nanners have launched a constitutional challenge to laws in New South Wales courts. After Scott Morrison's federal Liberal National Coalition lost the 2022 election, Australia now has a federal Labor government which has also introduced a modest target of reducing emissions by 43% by 2030. In Queensland, Victoria, Western Australia and South Australia, it's been Labor state governments that have criminalised environmental protests. In New South Wales, Labor supported the new laws rushed through by the then Liberal government on the same night that many people's homes were underwater. There's not a lot of self-awareness in the state parliament about about the kind of irony of um, putting in laws to arrest people for these minor, you know, relatively minor inconveniences when the impacts of the the climate crisis we're facing are causing not inconvenience but loss of life, substantial loss of life, huge loss of property. I, I think the most recent floods created the, the single largest insurance payout ever in Australia's history, billions and billions and billions of dollars. Scientists now say that the floods that New South Wales experienced for two years after the catastrophic 2019 and 2020 bushfires may have been made worse when the enormous amounts of smoke generated by those fires induced a three-year La Nina. The La Nina finally lifted in March this year. 
and many Australians are now bracing for hotter, drier conditions as summer approaches. Oh, hi, Lyndall. Um, sorry to disappoint, but I won't be getting to this national sustainability event because of my bail conditions. They're actually zooming me in, so I'll be a big face on the screen. Um, but I hope that it works out well anyway. I'm trying to find a time to talk to environmental activist Violet Coco. It's December 2022, and Violet is out on bail pending an appeal of a 15-month prison sentence for a climate change protest that stopped cars on the iconic Sydney Harbour Bridge. And so we're about to hit an El Nino again. We're about to go back into the fire season. We've just been in the wet, and now we're going to have fires all over the country. In 2022, Coco joined a group of activists, including a firefighter, in shutting down a lane of traffic on the bridge. Our firefighters still don't have the tools that they need to protect us. And that's what I was on the bridge for. I was on the bridge for our firefighters saying we need to be ordering this equipment now because the fire season is coming. She tells me she became more involved in climate activism after previous bushfires. The country was on fire and my sister was pregnant at the time and she couldn't leave the house because the smoke was toxic to her and her and the baby. In March this year, a judge overturned Violet's 15-month jail sentence. But in her home state of New South Wales, a new law that imposes up to two years prison for stopping traffic remains in place. In the years since the fires, there have been less major street protests against climate change in Australia. But activists have been organising in new ways. People speaking out about climate change include the former captain of Australia's rugby team, who was elected as a senator after being arrested in a climate protest. In recent years, psychologists, firefighters, veterinarians, doctors and even marketing professionals have been actively organising around their profession's response to climate change as well. They include bushfire survivors who successfully sued the New South Wales Environment Protection Agency and people living in suburbs that flooded along the Brisbane River who have adopted a community organising approach that saw an unprecedented three Greens MPs elected to federal parliament. I think it's important to recognise that we operate off social science as, as, uh, as protesters and what we're doing is um, activating what we call the appropriate response to the threat and, and that's about shifting what we call the Overton window. Um, and the Overton window is about the appropriate response. So what we want to do is keep shifting, being as, as brave and courageous as we can to shift over into this appropriate response because the threat is massive and we need to have a response that is just as proportionate. Despite the fact that the police crackdown on protests seems to be intensifying, activists like Coco and Thorpe are more confident than ever that their activism is necessary and important. The concern that I have as an elder is it's not about my future, it's about our future generations. And I think that's what we need to, to really put front and centre here. Because everything is interconnected and that's what our stories tell us. We don't they just need to protest. We have to fight for this because this is fighting for our very future. And if, and if we can stand up and do that, well, that's what we have to do. And if they want to lock us up, we'll lock us up. But we have to continue to resist that. Drilled is an original Critical Frequency production. This episode was reported and written by me, Lyndall Rollins. 
Our senior editor for this season is Aileen Brown. Sarah Ventry and Martin Zoltz Orstwick are senior producers. Sound design and scoring also by Martin Zoltz Orstwick, who composed much of the music in this episode. Mixing and additional production by Peter Duff. Fact checking by Wudan Yan. Legal review by James Wheaton. Our artwork is by Matt Fleming. Our theme song is Bird in the Hand by Four Known. The show was created by Amy Westervelt, who contributed additional reporting to this episode. You can see more stories from this series, as well as background reporting on drilled.media. You can also sign up for our newsletter there. If you'd like to support the show, you can give us a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts, share links to our stories, or upgrade to a paid newsletter or podcast subscription for access to ad-free, early release episodes and bonus content. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.